And welcome to the Life Support Live podcast, the weekly podcast that explores how Star Trek can help us to boldly go in our own lives to better ourselves and the rest of humanity. As a famous starship captain once said, and as another famous starship captain also once said, the one with the new series on the way, wherever our mission takes us, We'll try to have a little fun along the way. Always, always. That's the goal. Hi, everyone. I'm psychologist Dr. Ali Matu. And I'm Dr. Trek, Larry Nimacek. One of us is a real doctor. And we'll leave it to you to decide who that is. <laughs> hey, every Saturday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern, we record this show live on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook with our audience joining in and rebroadcast here as a podcast. If you'd like to join us live, check out the links in the show notes. And now, let's engage with our regularly scheduled program, Already in Progress. On this week's episode, we're talking about rules. When to follow them, when to break them. There's a lot of times Star Trek breaks rules, and we'll talk about about that in great detail. Uh, to start things off, let us know in the comments, what's your favorite example of a Star Trek episode where a character breaks the rules. Um, let us know in the comments. Hey, and can well, I, may I say, yes, we did not do. celebrate this last week. Last week right. was our 25th show, so it was like our silver anniversary. Right. This is number right. 26 today. This We've already, I, was, yeah. I was looking so at my today, notes for today. And today's like, our half-year anniversary, then. Oh, my gosh. It's been, we've been doing this for a half-year? We have been doing this for six months. That is unbelievable. Unbelievable. You would think our audience was doing, would be doing so much better, Mr. Carlin. But no. It's <laughs> that is so, uh, you know, we, we started this with the idea of doing it for the duration. And um, back then, Larry, we had no idea how long this would be going on for. Um, and here we are half a year later. Well, uh, Larry, I raised my rack to Gino to you. On uh, 26 on mm-hmm. half year. Um, I also need to say today, uh, just as a show off there, I'm doing this show uh, during OU Texas. So here's my is... devotion to the cause. But yes, happy six month anniversary and happy belated silver anniversary or something. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that's that is uh, if anyone knows Larry, he knows uh, it's that is a big sacrifice that you are making. So I think you might be breaking one of your own rules here today for uh, for life support Ooh. live. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, um, as as folks who are new um, might not know, and as our regulars do know, we start the discussion with a little bit of um, just a non spoiler discussion <laughs> of the episode that inspired this week's theme. This week. That is the season one finale. Larry, I can't believe we just finished the whole season. A season one finale of Star Trek Lower Decks. And Larry, as I often do, I'd love to get your non-spoiler thoughts to start off this discussion. (laughs) I'll give you my non-spoiler thoughts, too. Uh, (laughs) Well, as usual, we're sitting here saying, wow, it's the season one finale of ten half-hour shows. So, just to say... (laughs) Right, right. It's like five hours. Where did the time go? Yeah. Uh, no, it's, I think there's been, for the folks who have either jumped in full-throated on Lower Decks, or a lot of people who needed some convincing, and that's not all fandom, I know, but for a lot of people the, that enjoyed the show or came to enjoy it as it went along, it was, it was like a huge build. 
And I said, I think I said last week on, on our air, I said, I was thinking this is the most fully formed Star Trek right out of the box. Mm. Only rivaled by the original series, but I think the, the original series did a lot of unintended growing the first year. They didn't yeah. expect Kirk and Spock to be, you know, even. It was going to be Kirk with these other guys, you know, Second Banana and then a bunch of other people. And it wound up being Kirk, Spock, and then McCoy in the triangle by the end of the first year. And yes. a lot of the background concept totally flushed out as they went along, you know. So I I think even Lower Decks has – and again, this is 10 half hours versus 26 or 27 hours. But I think Lower Decks came out of the gate more fully formed than any other Star Trek has this year. So, But this, I, but this finale was just amazing. It hit so many different notes on so many different levels. It's, you know, nostalgia, throwbacks, Easter eggs, but its own people and arcs and people growing and all kinds of human emotions going on, too. So not to get too spoilery. Yeah, yeah, there was um, there's a lot and um, there's there's a lot we can't really talk about because it would spoil um, this this episode. But what I'll say is um, this episode seemed to be a really great. Um, oh, wow, Larry, am I going to say this? Um, a really great Valentine to the fans. <laughs> if, uh, if anyone knows the reference to that, you know, know that Nick, that thing. You really want to? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I thought it was. Uh, there was there was a lot of love um, mm. to the to the Star Trek um, franchise, and uh, going to all the way in the beginning and the original series. There was the episode really starts with um, a, a, a very big nod to TOS and it has uh, a few other stops along the way um catching us up to uh to now um there's some some really great jokes in there um I will say um it's I, I love episode 9 so much that it's really hard for me to um judge episode 10 without really like I I lo- episode 9 just was Come out of your episode a... nine haze there, Bucky. <laughs> I, I can't. It was so good. It was so good. So it's it's hard for me to look at um, the season finale objectively. But there was um there was a few themes that we were trying to draw from that were also not spoilery <laughs> themes. And the one we came up with is um is rules. And one of the things that happens in this episode is uh, we have our um, we have two characters. Who have kind of represented um, two different sides, two different approaches to Starfleet. Um, mm. And what we see in this episode is one of the characters who is much more about following the rules, uh, the captain, um, and the lower decker who is a little bit more. Mm, <laughs> not about following rules, for rules. Not sake. about following the rules. Yeah. I would <laughs> say she's a little bit more. TOS, we're going to figure this out as we go along. Um, whereas the captain might be a little bit more TNG. Mm-hmm. Hey, the, the universe has its ways of, of working. We need to follow those. And we see a little bit of a coming together here. And, and I thought that was uh, a really cool idea, Larry. And one that it's a very specific theme that we haven't explored before. We got a lot of great feedback about what, what we should talk about this week. And one of the things that we always lean heavily like on pole is... without a pole. Right. <laughs> One of the things we always lean on is, uh, is this something we have, is this a new perspective we can bring 
to Star Trek, some, and a new perspective to our mental health, something we haven't talked about before. And rules seem to be an interesting one. Yeah, well, and I, I, I sent you another couple of images, but I think that that dynamic of the rule, the rule follower and the rule breaker, and when one is a strength and when not, um, is there's also a dynamic of the two lower decker leads of mm-hmm. of Mariner and Boimler. And they're kind of the same way. He's the rule follower. Yes. She's the rule breaker. So it's almost like it's a two level. We're reinforcing that. What got me this time was there are a couple of moments there where <laughs> I love that this moment here. It's like yeah. she's decided she's going to follow the rules in an exaggerated way, which drives him mad. It's like, oh, no, you can't start this now for your own nefarious ends. <laughs> Even the speed walking. Yeah. <laughs> she's copying his speed walking. Oh, she's bundled up her hair. And, yeah, the speed walking. And the sir, yes, sirs. So it was like, well, you know, even following the rules can be abusive, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yes. And, yeah. and so where's where are those lines? And, and how do we know? Here she is with her <laughs> star free regulation. You know, one of the things I really appreciate um, is Lower Decks has brought back the, like, in tough times, you kind of uncuff your your uniform a little bit in much the same way as the um, from Wrath of Khan on with the original series mm-hmm. cast we saw. Um, I really like that. And um, there's a lot of great episodes that people have already mentioned in the comments that I want ah. to um, I want to bring. Wait, up there's a chat here. over here. Oh my gosh, we have a wonderful chat. And I know last week Ali really went on his soapbox about mental health, but we're going to be plugged in with, uh, with the chat. So Zaheer, Zaheer starts us off with Deep Space Nine in the Pale Moonlight. Um, Star Trek Six, uh, Chris, uh, Christoph says Star Trek Six had the most important rule violations. Um, also another nod to In the Pale Moonlight. Um, Jared says too many to list when it comes to the Prime Directive. Um, Scott mentioning LOL Kirk breaks the prime directive all the time. Um, Libby, um, Libby also bringing up, um, um, some good ones. I think, Li- I think Bar Association Libby might be one of your favorite episodes because it comes up in, in a lot of recommendations. And I think it's right on here. Bar mm-hmm. Association from DS9, uh, Body Parts, another one, Lower Decks, every episode. <laughs> uh, that well, is definitely true. Um, now, here was, let me, these are all great. And I'm sure we'll dance around a lot of these. Yeah. But the risk in having a topic like this rules when to follow and when to break. Yeah. I was concerned that that, yes, exactly. Every prime directive conversation, every time Kirk talked down a computer, which has been referenced in lower decks. Yes. Um, made fun. Every time anybody, any captain made a huge decision. I mean, there's, yes. It's also called like writing drama. <laughs> right, right. When, when people are breaking rules. So on one hand, we didn't, I didn't want this to turn into let's just list all 47 million different ways, rules big and small. What I wanted to say, I wanted to draw a distinction between rules and let's say laws. Like, so that's, that's great. Like, yeah. So yeah, because I, I wanted to say this, this, I want to bring this down to a more personal level. Let's do that. And that's a great way to start yeah. our briefing room, Larry. Um, so what's your distinction there? Uh, basically, I'm going to say that breaking the prime directive, since there's actually a mechanism in place for captains to go defend their prime directive decisions. We didn't always see them in action, but yeah. that's been mentioned. You know, you have to be able to defend as as time went by. By the time we got to the Voyager years or, or whatever, <clears throat> people saying, 
that so I don't I'm not counting that as a broken rule. Uh, I'm counting that as a very I'm talking about in personal ways. So I'm really thinking more about when I agreed to this topic today, I was thinking more in interpersonal terms, not galaxy spanning ways. Yeah. So Larry, are you are you thinking Although sometimes they could have galactic repercussions, but initially they start off as small personal the way we saw happening in the Lord X episode. So are are you talking about personal rules and personal morals and your own code of, of conduct and ethics? Yeah, and and I mean like I mean existing rules, but what I mean is in small situations where it's mainly situation. Yeah. Yeah. Interpersonal rules and rule breaking. Yeah. And, yeah. And when is you know, and there's also a corollary here to everything, is like you have to know what the rules are in order to break them when you need to. Yeah, Which, and, and this and that's we should true say creativity, but also, you know, interpersonally as well. Yeah, and we're gonna dive through the Star Trek examples in a moment. Um this show's always about tying it into the now too. And mm-hmm. um This show meaning th- our show. Our show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and also Star Trek. I get Star Trek's about social they're, they're on the ball. Well. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so one of the things that we were discussing is um, how does this relate to now? And there's some obvious things about um, the justice system in the United States. Is it fair? Are 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 rules applied to everyone fairly, or is are there differences? Depending on um, on your appearance, your skin color, your race, um, or if you're a police officer or not, are, are the rules equally applied to the police? These are big discussions and debates happening in America. But there's also uh, been a lot of other discussion about rules uh, related to governments around the world. How much right do governments have? to require shelter in place, to shut down governments, mm-hmm. to uh, not to shut down governments, I mean to shut down economies. Um, what are the rules in place related to uh, public safety and wearing a face mask, uh, mm-hmm. to requiring vaccinations? A lot of these of these things are both big picture social things that have galactic consequences, as you said, Larry. And they're also very personal things as well. Um, I've been struggling with the ideas of how much do I open up our pod here? Um, would I be comfortable to have outdoor dining when, as it's been opened in Northern California? Would I be comfortable having that with a close friend of mine at the same table, at two tables away? Like, at what point do I feel like this is comfortable with my own rules? So I think the rules for many of us have felt like they're very much changing, if not challenged this year. And this is kind of why we thought this could be a good topic for us to explore because we're all struggling with, well, what's the rules here? How do I even approach this? Well, and, and uh, you know, I'm, if at this, at the sake of not violating the definition for today that I set down, yeah, a lot of what you're talking about involve laws or authorities, mm-hmm. but I'm talking more, even when it's a law and you're deciding whether or not to break it or not or bend it. It's still back down. I mean, if I decide to, to go out right now without my mask on, it's not going to bring down the whole country. Well, I hope it doesn't. Um, you know, yay or nay. It's really most things stay on a very per- interpersonal level and they don't, you know, uh, if, if, 
if one of the captains breaks a prime directive and does something to a planet and 20 or 30 years later, as was said in this episode, no one goes back to check on them and something, yeah. you know, all hell breaks loose. Oh, I don't know. You have a <laughs> you find a Superman out of history and you <laughs> you decide you're going to do your own shipboard justice system, which is in, under protocol, under regulations. And your punishment is you stick him on a planet. And then 20 years go by and that guy, you know, upsets, causes galactic <laughs> ripples from here to the Klingon Empire. Um, you know, that's not quite, you know, that's gotten out of hand. And yes, but if, if you're James T. Kirk running around, almost everything personal you do seems like it's going to become of galactic consequences. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, again, even though some of the things you're talking about involve legal regulations, legal legal strictures of a big body, of a big area, I'm still talking about individually, you know, the, the individual repercussions in small scale. So let's you know, dive into that. Um, wh- where should we start that discussion? What episode? Oh, right story? here. Oh. <laughs> well, <laughs> so I, you know, and I, I thought later on, the the stricture was galactic, but the first thing I thought of, and people have been saying some here on, you know, I'm defining this, so yes, I had a head start on it. But I go back to, and it happened, yes, it happened in the original series, and it even happened in this way once before, but it's more cinematic, mm-hmm. in uh, The Search for Spock. Uh, Kirk's yeah. told, Kirk is told not to go to Genesis, but he, as he says, therefore I'm going anyway. And it wasn't, uh, you know, yes, Genesis was, there's, it's been quarantined, it's, um, you know, it's off limits, but this is a personal thing to him. It's personally, you know, he's he's going to do this for Spock. But um, but it's a very small personal thing, and no one knows it's going to turn into a Klingon encounter, and you know, turn in and then wind up back in the Federation Council room in an, in two more years in a movie. But in the moment, it's all about him. It's all the stakes are his. If he yeah. gets caught, he's in trouble. Then he's he's you know bounced out of the service, and he's the yeah. one in you know, and he's saying, guys, don't come along with me. This is my deal. Yeah. Oh no, Captain, we're with you. You know. But that's that's the kind of a case where I'm talking about here. Um, he took an individual choice to it, you know. But he he felt like it was a rule, um, and a lot of people think rules don't apply to them. But this was a one particular case with a particular set of circumstances, and somebody made a decision. I mean, people who blindly just run around bull in a china closet or bull in a china shop, as I've heard, who just don't even know there's they're not self aware. They're just you know, running around causing chaos. That's not what we're talking about. But this is a case where, in this case, Kirk had a decision to make, had a very specific situation, and for those reasons did what he did. And, you know, you could say amok time is the same thing. He was ordered to go to this uh, this event, but he thought he had to go save Spock's life, and he broke orders in this case to go do it. He bent the rules, broke his orders. And, yes, everything wound up coming out hunky-dory. But in the moment, he was... He was hell bent to uh, break the rules, break his orders, and go do what he thought was best. Yeah, so that's what. And, yeah, I think that's a that's a really great example, and it's also I think one of the most underrated odd number movies in in the franchise. Uh, I think Search for Spock is um, is really a wonderful film, and it's just so expands the cinematic scope of of Star Trek um, from from Wrath of Khan. I think what happens with Kirk gets to um, his his sacred values. 
So he, um, we do things differently when we think something is sacred. And we've talked a little bit before. I, I don't remember what episode. Um, it's been half a year, Larry. I don't remember what episode. You're welcome. <laughs> you suddenly have an excuse. Okay. I have an excuse. Thank you for that. Uh, I, I forget when, when we spoke about it last, but, um, when you find something to be sacred, it's non-negotiable. Um, you, you can't really, you don't think as logically about it. So in the United States, we often think of freedom of speech as being sacred. There's a lots of, lots of things and there's a lot of individual differences. And I think for most Starfleet officers, um, rules from Starfleet are considered to be, um, very sacred and, and the hierarchy and all of these kind of things, it's quite important at the same time. Kirk, Kirk really, really values his friendships. Um, he really values, especially Spock and Bones, especially everyone he served with. And so I think what you see in, in, um, not Wrath of Khan, in Search for Spock is a little bit of conflict between, um, his duty to Starfleet and his duty to his, his friends. Um, and we see Bones is also afflicted as well. He, he's struggling in some ways. So this idea that maybe I can help, help the, the two of them, these two right. people I'm so close to, um, his, um, the sacred beliefs he has about helping his friends win out over that. And, um, and you're right, Larry. I think the consequences are really his to bear. Um, it's, he doesn't think it's going to have a galactic consequence, although it, it very much does. <laughs> well, and part of this is also, you know, not so much a muck time, but that, that looked more life and death. And maybe there was life and death going on here or death and death. But by the time of search for Spock, he's been around the quadrant a time or two. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, you know, it's like you're starched. That's why that's why Mariner and Lower Decks is kind of interesting, and I think we're gradually peeling away the onion. I've I've seen some hints, and again, uh, I don't. I want to ask Mike McMahon, uh, McMahon, if um, how how canon his book from six seven years ago. Oh, this, sure. This is the book that started it all because he did this yeah. out. Of, he sold this out of that parody Twitter account. But yeah, and the book Mariner is based on his tweets. Yeah, she Mariner's was a cadet. Mariner is in here. She's mentioned as, and there's lots of gibberish this was like a parody book but yeah yeah Beckett mariner is a character as a cadet here and if this is canon in the eighth season so she's like in her early mid-30s actually which is you know kind of hidden which totally leads into why she's so blasé about so much and why she's seen so much and as we saw in this last episode why she seems to know half the crew of the enterprise e intimately but well not intimately maybe but uh she knows them well uh, but it, whether it is or not, it seems that uh, Mariner's been around the block in her own scale of things and maybe has a lot less of that green, you know, wet behind the ears, cadet, young ensign, kind of, that the rest of the lower deckers, if they're conscious of that, seem to have. Like Boimler, yeah. who's so conscious about, I got to stay on the career ladder um, or I'm screwing up, you know. And Tendy yeah. and Rutherford are just so wonderfully out there and naively you know, joyous in their own ways, they're not really, you don't get the sense that they're so conscious, and they're sciency and opsy, but you don't get the sense that they're so conscious about climbing the ladder, you know, and not ruffling yeah. feathers. So for that's that's one thing I think um, 
and I was there too, but as the shows have unraveled, I can see, and I said this somewhere else on Tuesday's Live or in a column or something for the magazine, that same thing with Picard. We see our first characters in a new time setting. And we, now, are, we are you talking Star Trek Picard or are we talking yes, the, the next series? Yes, the series Picard. Yes. I think a lot of us, when we see a new series, where our minds are like we're trying to fill in the gaps of time and place, and if it's a new era and all, and new faces, and we wildly extra, we have one person, two people, we take Admiral Clancy and wildly extrapolate that she's representing all of Starfleet. Well, she's obviously rep- she's CNC, so she's representing Starfleet, but it's like individual peccadilloes, individual relationships. We don't. So part of us we don't know. But we are so quick to just broad brush everything. And I know the first scene of Lord X. I'm like, oh, my God, she's like a uh, Mariner's a madhouse. Well, A, you figure out kind of quick she's drunk. And you went, she's drunk? But she's like a little she's like a little loose cannon who, A, not only, you know, not only uh, does that on purpose, the reason she gets away with it, we figure out eventually why. But if you look at all those boring people in the background, they're all just trudging along like all the best star leaders we've ever seen in any other incarnation. She's an outlier. But again, we're watching a new show, learning new things, and the tendency was people were like, oh my God, they're all crazy at this time. They're all just a bunch of smart asses, you know, just like you look, oh my God, the Federation is so dark during Picard's time. Well, you know, giant bodies kind of sway back and forth and don't usually veer off suddenly, but we're still... We're seeing Commander O, and we're seeing Admiral Clancy, and we're seeing one-off people who have leadership and who have sway. But the entire Federation, top to bottom, I don't think is that fundamentally different than the rest of the time. So that when things alter and change, and Clancy goes, oh, okay, okay, fine, I'll send a squadron. Spoilers, guys. Um, <laughs> you know, it's not like she had this, ba- oh, I was all evil over here, and now I'm all good. That's not what's going on. So... In Lower Decks here, it's a little heightened, but I think people have understood that Mariner was a one-off, a really one-off character, right? And that we see yeah. plenty of good old traditional stodgy, rule-obeying Starfleeters, you know, young and old, behind her, for, for what it's worth. Yeah. Um, I'm kind of... <laughs> <Did I, laughs> I'm trying to uh, trying to figure out where to go um, Sorry. from there. No, hey, no, I, we went we I, went I uh, Picard weeks a minute ago. So you know, come on. <laughs> um, I'm gonna have to say I concur um, <laughs> with well, all of that. Well, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is this is tricky because we, um, you know, I'm thinking of episodes like um, the first duty. Uh, you mentioned Picard, and um, my go-to when I when I think about Picard, it's not it's not um uh, Prime Directive, and I think the the problem with the Prime Directive is we can get we can get caught in a um in a uh, large hurricane of Prime Directive uh, debate, and it'll just wreck a lot. Just of like this. they do. <laughs> <laughs> just like yeah, the episodes, yeah, no, totally. Um. But for me, for me, first duty is always the, um, the prime example of, of rules. Because we see, um, something that is so sacred and non-negotiable to Picard is the truth. 
And he says that in that very great monologue, the first duty of every Starfleet officer is to the truth. That is uh, that is your guiding light, your North Star. That is the sacred thing. You can never, never break that. Because once you break that, you are no longer one of us. Which I think really helps us to understand things like Star Trek Insurrection. Mm-hmm. It's not that, um, you know, we, we get the Admiral... Add Doherty out. Um, <laughs> Doherty says, Doherty you know, out. <laughs> but, um, he says to Picard, the prime director doesn't apply. These people have warp technology. They, they've let go of that. But what, what so angers Picard is, um, the lying and the manipulation for Starfleet to get this, uh, technological advantage. Um, of metaphysics and everything that that's going to do. Um, they're, they're lying. Doherty is lying. Um, and, um, so what we see in the first duty is, um, it's not that Starfleet has these rules set up that you need to tell the truth. I'm sure that's somewhere in the cadet handbook, but this is telling the truth. Yeah. Telling the truth. Yeah. To like, make up for I mean, all the parents who didn't raise their kids to do that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Um, but uh, the culture and everything that Picard and Starfleet have been have been raised with and the culture around Starfleet is one that has really supported this idea of the truth, um, that this is a sacred thing, that this is something that you don't cross. And that's the thing with, with rules is when rules really align up with your moral code, you, you don't need there to be a specific rule. It, it you sort of you, you find ways to make it work because it matches with your with your moral code. But when the rules are out there and they don't really make a lot of sense, or they're they're hard to follow. Like we had um, a great comment here from uh, let me see if I could back it up. Phil. So Phil said, "People I've dealt with lately about, lately about COVID are all or nothing. I've been ridiculed for things like wearing a mask. If I'm also not." Um, uh, if I'm also not hosing down all my groceries before bringing them in the house, their opinion is if you're um, if you aren't going to follow every rule to the letter, then you're um, hypocritical for following any of them. So uh, they don't follow any. And I think this is a situation where it's very hard to follow the rules or to know what the rules are because we all value safety. We all value taking care of ourselves and other people. None of us really want to get someone else sick. We don't want to get sick ourselves. But knowing what's the right thing to do and how that maps onto some kind of moral code that we all have, that's very vague because we're in new territory. Most of us have never lived through a global pandemic before. So that's that's where I think the first duty is so wonderful because it, it, it maps onto something that is already inside of Picard. And a lot of the stuff we're struggling with, it's it's unclear as to what it's mapping onto and how to be safe. Well, I'm part of this whole thing about the rules today and, well, this changed. And first they said, don't worry about masks. And then they said they did. There's two things going on. And the second one, which is happening more and more and more as we've gone along, is, you know, people manipulating the whatever that is for their own good or trying to gin something yes. out of something. But at the core... Yes, things have changed because, I'm sorry, guys, we're boldly or not so boldly going where no one's gone before. I mean, yes, we've had pandemics and all that, but all these are all new cases. And I'm sorry that we didn't know 
what the rules were. We didn't know what the science, the data, what the best practices are. This is not the flu. This is not name 47 million different diseases that there's a known treatment for. When you're dealing with something new, that's the whole point. If it was an old established thing we knew, it wouldn't be a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. If something was different, like, oh, suddenly we have a vaccine for something and suddenly a fourth of the world is not doing that vaccine and there's an outbreak of polio or smallpox, well, okay, that's a whole different thing. But it's not like you didn't know what you should have been doing yeah. as the way you've been doing it for decades. So this is a case, though, where they're madly experimenting and a lot of expectations, even in the first few months, like, you know, uh, what's your, you know, the residual effects? What is your, you know, re, um, your reinfection chance? What is, all, yeah. what are, how do all these factors that are individualized among all of us, how do all these individual factors play about getting it, about recovering and about residual effects and all this, you know, the clotting? Yes. And the lot, you know, the damage to organs that they're talking about. Oh, well, I'm cured and over it, but now I'm going to have, you know, lung medication or something from, I'm going to take something for the rest of my life now because of it. And yay, yeah. I didn't die, but I still have this residual effect. Well, what's the best practice for minimizing that? Or, oh, look, the kids aren't being affected. Well, it's turning out that a lot of them are. We just weren't looking in the, but it's because it's new. So yes. Yeah. Rules can be changed, evolving, in flux, not because of some nefarious conspiracy or political manipulation, but because that's that's the way science is. Is yeah, it big, and, and, big bang and, or steady state? Is it the did the brontosaurus do this or did the brontosaurus even you know? I mean, we're always doing that. So, so and, and there's a huge mental health and, angle. And some to people this. have an idea. People that have been spoiled by modern civilization. I say spoiled. I don't know that a lot of people, it's like, it's, that's such a new thing that people have, they don't stop to think about that. And they're just compl well, they told us this last month and now they're telling us this. And, you know, there's anywhere from, from suspicion to just confusion. But that's part of what's been, you know, it's, uh, that's the whole point. If this was a common thing, we wouldn't all be struggling with it. Everybody. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, so Sean, uh, Sean has a great reminder of uh, this is World uh, Mental Health Day. Um, oh, and, and 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 I think this is what we're talking about right now, Larry. This is the mental health crisis of of the year. Um, so uh, for a number of reasons. Number one is um, we know we're, we're getting to know now more that. Um, COVID-19 has very long-term mental health repercussions. Um, we know that it has a huge impact on your, uh, most people who recover, um, uh, many of them continue to experience breathing problems. They have difficulty falling asleep. Um, some are really at vulnerable, uh, they're vulnerable for uh, trauma-like symptoms. Um, I fear for long-term stigma of folks who have had this. Um, there's fears of, did I transmit this to other people? Did I get other people infected? So we know COVID-19, and there's long-term attention and memory problems that some people experience. And we'll know much more about that in the years to come. What are the long-term impacts of COVID-19? But this thing that we're talking about right now, rules, how to follow them, this has a huge mental health impact. Um, <laughs> a lot of times 
When you have rules, when the culture has agreed upon standards of how to act in certain situations, that relieves a lot of stress. Larry, you and I, we can drive to each other's home. Now, we that's probably a six, seven hour drive for us going up and down right. California. But the same rules that apply in Southern California to driving apply in Northern California to driving. Not only does that reduce stress because we know what to expect, but it also enhances safety because we're all following the same rules. This is the mm-hmm. same problem here with COVID-19. As the rules have been changing, as the rules are differentially applied in different parts of our country and other countries, right. it creates massive stress. You don't know what to expect. You don't know what's the right thing to do. You don't know if you're staying safe. And when it comes to mental health, one of the first things I often talk about is getting enough sleep. In fact, there's a new episode of The Psych Show that just came out yesterday. Um, uh, it's about well, all of my favorite. Well, YouTube show, isn't it, Doc? <laughs> it's been a while. We haven't had a new episode since May, but there's a new one out. And it's all about coping. And the first thing I talk about there is sleep, food, hydration, and staying healthy, uh, taking medications that you need to do, protecting yourself, wearing a face mask. That is, there's, all of those things make every other aspect of your mental health better. They help you to cope um, easier. You're more rejuvenated. You're more resilient. But if if your health is compromised, your mental health is compromised. And right now, knowing what rules to follow is a highly stressful process that can impact people's health. So there's a very strong connection here. I would say this is COVID-19 and how to navigate it. This is the mental health story of the year. Well, yes, in so many different ways. And here's the thing. It's what's affecting this. It's much easier when we're all on the same page and everyone's just with it. That's great. And regional differences play out. Regional attitudes play out. Uh, urban versus rural. Um, you know, the interior of the country versus the coasts where people tend to mix more. But even then, even within those groups, there's subgroups. And just in some small town in the heartland, maybe, you've got people yeah. doing following rules and others who don't. And it's it's tougher when it's big and anonymous, like in a city, in an urban setting. That's bad enough. You're just driving by and you see somebody crossing the street without a mask and you kind of go, ah. But when it's like a small town, when there's a thousand people in town and half, you know, half of them are flaunting or whatever the attitude is. And then now the stress is on you. You've not only got the COVID stress, you've got the social stress of being, you know, an outcast or, you know, you've got the internal battle of do I do what I think is right or do I have to go with what the flow is around me, even though I think I'm in a pocket because some people, whether they're physically traveling, like somebody who lives in Des Moines, but they're in and out of L.A. and New York and Houston all the time, they're much more conscious of things, you know, or in bug tussle. They're much more conscious of that than they are if they're their next door neighbor who goes down to the to the local grocery store and back. And that's their whole that's their world, even when it's not yes. a pandemic, you know, yeah. And, and that it introduces that stress and that tension of how much, which is what happens all the time anyway. The more we mix and, you know, whether it's big scale travel or just, or whether it's like literal travel. Do I watch the news? Do I think about follow what's happening in the rest of the world, much less on the other end of my state versus someone who just sits in their own 
world, they've got five or ten family members and friends, and that's their world. And everything else kind of filters in. You know, what's their awareness? What's their parameters? And whether it's, so whether it's uh, physical or literal, that's, that causes stress, too. There's um, Rose brings up a really great comment. Rose, I think, has been one of our um, one of our longest um, uh, members of the community here, going back to some of our original episodes. And Rose says, "What about when people don't follow rules and make it works worse for everyone else? If yeah. someone comes up to you, then they're breaking the rules, right?" So, do we have a Star Trek parallel here? And th- this brings up the public health aspect of uh, of a lot of what we're discussing here, Larry. Um, about not only keeping yourself safe, but when do you, when what happens when your decisions have an impact on the the well being of others? And right. Cal, we're, again, we're bringing up California. Well, I'm bringing up California. Um, California was one of the first states to ban indoor smoking in public places, and the reason for that was the science was pretty clear. That secondhand smoke, smoke from other people smoking, uh, not, it, it had an impact on, on other people around you. And it was almost as bad as smoking yourself. And there was research that secondhand smoke would get into furniture and would have long-term impacts on people who are sitting there and, and using that furniture. So California banned it. And over the course of the last couple of decades, or last three decades that that has expanded to most states in this in this mm-hmm. country, but that was an example of your decisions will have an impact on someone else. And um, in most part, in most of the country, you can still smoke outside, except around hospitals and things like that. But um, the rules were changed because of the public health. So, do we have a, a Star Trek parallel to a story where? Your actions, uh, rules are created because your actions or your inaction might have a big impact on the well-being of other people. Oh, I may have to defer on. I'm a little brain dead. Um, <laughs> well, I'm thinking part of what's going on here, like I said, part of this is when things are in flux, when things are evolving. And maybe they are evolving faster than we even realize. Um I think Sahir had an example. Yeah. Um, were, uh, a Deep Space Nine example was a Babel, um, where uh, there was a outbreak and Cisco had yes, yeah, and Cisco issued a quarantine, um, which wasn't necessarily the popular decision, but was the the right decision to uh, to get that under control. Um, I mean that that example is a little on the nose here. <laughs> But I think that is um, that is one example that comes to mind. I don't know if uh, our chat has a... Oh, um, Jared says, Blink of an Eye from Voyager. Um, oh, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, so this is the episode where Voyager is, uh, for a very brief moment of time... Yes, is... Well, um, define time. I know. It's all it's hilarious. It's all I relative. Believe. Yeah, time. It's a relative concept. Um, just in time, I found us just in time. Oh, wait, okay, no. <laughs> I'll go to warp through space and time. Um, the 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 episode of give me um, warp to the factor of five, six, seven, eight. Six, seven, eight. Uh, that, <laughs> I just lost that. Sorry, that was spoiler. great. 
That Spoiler was a great line. moment. Well, just don't say who says it. Um, I won't. I won't. So what, what's great about Blink of an Eye is it, it was a complete accident. Voyager had no intention of setting up shop on top of a planet and having impacting their culture for thousands of years. That was yeah. never the intention. They, they thought they were just going about their own way. However, it, it drastically changed that in the course of that entire civilization. Um, so their, at best, their, um, their ignorance, um, at worst, their complete, uh, negligence, uh, had a, had a tremendous impact on that society. And it, our real, our real world, uh, first contacts are full of examples of this. Now, a lot of times our real world first contacts like Christopher Columbus were, um, very much racist, xenophobic, um, they, uh, the, those individuals didn't think very highly of the, of the people they were meeting, but there was a lot of unintended consequences when it came to disease and that uh, bringing over diseases that people had absolutely no immunity to, and then wiped out entire populations. Especially when you didn't have a scientific basis to even know how yes. d- disease transmission and, you know, curative worked. Uh, yes. That was underlying a lot of that, but. Yeah, you have the yeah, you have the political, you know, cultural, racial attitude. Um on top of all the scientific unintended con- you know, conse- consequences, consequences. Uh yeah, I'm just I'm just caught up in our chat here. Um we keep I feel like we keep throwing things out and then we don't answer them. <laughs> well, um, maybe maybe we should go uh, to a couple episodes uh that you and I outlined and and then we can kind of um uh, circle back here. Uh, this is one that we outlined. Um, who watches the watchers? Um, this is a fantastic episode of the next generation and it, it brings up, um, a lot of different themes here that, that we're talking about. And, um, and yes, I know that involved that moment we saw there, the whole, the whole episode is undergirded by a prime directive concern, which goes against what I just said. I'm breaking my own rule. But to me, it just, this is a, this is a case where this planet is obvious, and maybe a hundred years from that, and maybe that's, and that's the point of the prime directive. Maybe not now, but in a hundred years or, you know, a thousand years, what are the repercussions? But, you know, the butterfly effect. But, um, in this moment, it felt very personal, partly because the Federation's good intentions of observing, you know, anthropologically observing this, um, this culture, the, they were betrayed by the tech. They had a glitch. They're bird. They're they're blind. They're bird. They're, they're bird blind. blind. They're, yeah, they're bird blind. <laughs> <laughs> they're duck blind. Failed, which yeah. foiled their own trying to adhere to their own rules of non-interference. And yeah. so here's Picard. Is it's one of those cases where our best intention something happened that wasn't our fault, and now we're just what's the best way to fix it. Do we just back out and, you know, do we try to wipe our tracks a little bit and not show or what? And this is a case where it's, it's, you know, Picard in the moment is having to decide, even as they try to clean up the mess, the unintended mess they didn't intend, things start to spiral out of control. And Picard says, I have to do my own. I have to, I have to take my training and leadership and my captain's pips and decide what to do. I'm going to show one of them the reality. Because it, the the damage that we've done is going to be worse than the damage of me revealing what normally I would never do. Right. 
right? It's one of those situations where there, there are no clear rules because right. the, what, what you had set up has already failed. And you're in uncharted territory, which, um, in some ways, um, many of us have experienced this year. Um, uh, yes. you know, when it comes to, I, I don't know if anyone here is, um, uh, a parent of a school aged child, um, Ugh. like a K through 12. Um, Larry, there's, there's no, I'm rules. so glad I'm not a parent right now. So, well, you've got a two year old. You're at least pre, does I'm, she I'm have pre- daycare? Did she normally have daycare? Yes, yes, and the rules for that are very different. Um, you know, the I, I I I have a lot of um, um, a lot of compassion for parents right now of school aged children. I, my my daughter is not K through twelve age, but there's no clear rules on how you handle this. How do you? Well, like everything else, school? it's different region to region. It's different district to district. I have a lot of my nieces and. My, uh, yeah, my nieces are all teachers and a lot of cousins mm-hmm. and second cousins are a lot of teachers. And it's like, it's a patchwork, you know, quilt. But here's the thing. Yeah. So my, uh, now where my older brother and his family all are, my two nieces and they all teach in a town in Oklahoma where totally apart from school, the, the Pop Warner style, you know, junior football, the middle school football team, we're all observing the COVID and they were debating whether to even play games. And they came down of we're going to follow all the strictures and all the other teams, you know, it's like small towns. And you had one, one dad who went to a family thing, didn't where the family didn't care about anything, came back, infected his kid. They were waiting. It's a little bit like, Oh, we see in national headlines where they were getting tested, but he didn't tell anybody he was getting tested. Mm. So and the then it comes continued. back. It comes back positive. Well, now they've quarantined the whole team. The parents of the other kids are all pissed because they were doing the right thing, and right. it was this domino effect. Plus, the kids were in school during the day, you know. And so now there's this whole ripple effect because of one person. It's a perfect illustration of why pandemic, you know, why the thinking underlies the thinking that it does, and why on the you know, on paper. The standard, here's the basic thinking behind why we're doing this. It's not some crazed attempt to take over society. It's like, well, duh, here's what happens. But that was a small town, and that was, you know, all these things are large, again, large models, small models. But viral, you know, we, we say, oh, it went viral on, on online as a, just a word we use. It's like, well, there's a reason why going viral <laughs> means going viral. <laughs> You know, I haven't thought about that until now, now that you mentioned it. I haven't thought about that all year long. Uh, We've always wanted, so many people want to go viral. And the reason for that is a a very quick spread uh, of of whatever you've worked on. It's it's out there. And uh, we have that term for a reason. Um, And we're seeing that this year. That's that's really interesting. I've wondered actually if we'll come up with a new term besides going viral. After the pandemic, I wonder if, if there'll be some new PC term rather than yeah. go viral, yeah, that's it's it's interesting. Um, but that's that's kind of the case in point, Larry. Yeah, is um, so with schools, the rules of attendance and all of this and participation and and all of that, um, they no longer work. So what are the new rules? No one really knows. We're kind of figuring this out, and that's what has caused so much of the mental health crisis for parents and students and teachers. It's all of them. And I, I think teachers, a, a lot of parents are struggling 
some of them were taking it out on teachers. Um, a lot of teachers or parents themselves, like they don't like the situation either. There's no clear path forward. And they're taking it out on administrators. They're, yes. They're taking it out on, on local and state education people or governors or presidents. I mean, you know, it's like a, yes, the stress is, and this is the education realm. We kind of touched on the whole business side, which is the whole, you know, everything is economic as well as scientific medical. Right. Yeah. Businesses, um, taxing, taxing, businesses shut down. Now you've got taxes. Now you've got stress on government services, which are trying to help people in the first place. And what's the best way to address that? And, you know, Libby has a great comment here. Um, there's been cases near me where parents are sending kids with fevers to school. One reason I'm petrified of going back to the office is there's a long history of people insisting on working sick, even with the flu. So Libby, I think, is is uh, really speaking to two major problems that we have in the United States. One is we don't have good quality, affordable child care available to everyone. So um, in a lot of places, it's if you don't, if your child can't go to school, okay. you're you now have to not go to work to take care of your child. So as we've seen with this pandemic, um, as people have lost work and lost school. Um, there haven't been any good options of how do you help your kids because the other big thing we have in America is to kind of work hard, pull yourself up by the bootstraps, and even if you're sick, you still go to work. I desperately hope, Larry, that that changes as a result of the pandemic. Um, mm-hmm. The among pressure to work, among several things. things, yeah. The pressure to work, even if you're sick, is such a... Um, Gosh, I hate to be so on the nose. It's, I was going to say a disease. It's such a disease in the United States. Um, it's Libby, I understand where you're coming from. I felt in my last job, I felt a lot of pressure to show up for work, even if I was sick. Because if I didn't, um, I got a lot of pushback. Um, so it's, uh, it's hard. It's hard, Larry. Mm-hmm. Um I'm Perhaps. so far behind in the chat. I don't. I, uh, two things. I'm so far behind yes. in the chat, but I just wonder if maybe are we? Are, do we have more examples to cite? Here's what happened to me last night while we're in the briefing room, and maybe we should think about exiting the briefing room. But sure, I was just I I got through my like the oldest examples, and then by the time I got to you want to put up the DS9 example, I came up. Oh, with? <laughs> your DS9 example cracked me up. Here's your DS9 example. All of them. <laughs> I was just, and we've got some specifics here. Uh, who was it here? Uh, Victoria on Facebook pointed out, and I'm, this is how far back I am, 20 minutes in, um, that Damar uh, broke the, re- the rules of Cardassia, who loves status quo, and he rebelled, which is very odd for Cardassians socially. Uh, and then, of course, he paid for it and his prior sins. But anyway, I'm so far behind on the chat. But yeah, DS9 was like, oh, it's the darker, grittier. So it's like somebody was breaking a rule. <laughs> and then yeah. it had 40 or 50 recurring characters that all love to break rules, too. So anyway. Um, so, and Voyager, um, you had Maquis who were breaking a rule by rebelling. And I know that we're talking about big scale laws and regulations there. But you had that mindset where for the first year or so, you wondered if Tom Paris was just going to be that kind of angsty, you know. Or, or whatever, but like various Maquis people. But then the, then the, uh, you know, the, the drama sometimes comes out of do the buy the book Starfleet people. Does Tuvok break a rule 
do you know when they are when they they're faced with losing their lives and being stranded so far from home part of the initial dramatic arc of voyager was whether they're maquis or they're starfleet are they going to are they going to settle the first year was all about are they going to go along with Janeway, who's kind of like a state health officer, trying to do what she thinks is right, and all the you know the natives are restless down below her about whether she's in this you know special situation. So anyway, going through all the sh- and Enterprise, you can think well Archer breaking you know the, well, the there were a lot of a lot of rules yeah. were not established, and a, a part exactly. of Enterprise was figuring that out, and then figuring coming out on the things. other end. As we go farther along, yeah, you're right, Larry. As we go farther along to um, the Kelvin timeline, Picard, Discovery, um, right. rules are kind of much more nebulous. So I got to stop for a moment, Larry. Um, so we don't often do this, but um, when there is disinformation going on in the comments, I feel like we have to step in here. So, folks, I'm just going to take a moment and say um, masks are one of the most effective ways of, uh, of staying safe out there. And, um, there's, you, if you hear otherwise, that is disinformation. And that is information with the intent of deceiving. Um, what masks do, and the reason why surgeons wear them in the operating room, the reason why your dentist wears it when they are right up in your face, is it reduces the aerosols that are coming out of your mouth. It reduces, it, it's a barrier that blocks the, um, the potential, um, uh, contagions of, of getting to you. Um, the, the best example of this, um, I saw this great image about, not just uh, you to them, but them to you back. Yeah. And so there's, there's some recent, um, evidence that it might actually, um, also reduce how much, um, how much viral load you are taking on. So it actually makes a difference how much of a virus you get exposed to. A small amount of exposure does lead to a smaller infection. A larger exposure leads to a larger infection. So there's some evidence that wearing a mask might also reduce the intensity of exposure you might have to COVID-19. So um, I, I really hate to do this, Larry, but I, we have to stop the disinformation. Wearing masks is one of those one of the things in your control that is going to be the biggest thing we can do in addition to distancing ourselves from others and not engaging in certain and, activities and high-risk activities of, of stopping the spread of this uh, virus. And that wasn't invented for 2019 and 2020. That's, that's as like you said, surgeons do that in surgery. Uh, yeah. That's what happens when you've got a high, in, a high uh, transmission danger of viral things. It's also... Sadly, historically, I, one of the things that drives me up the wall is when it looks like we learn nothing. This exactly, it was a debate and it, they're, they're living examples from the Spanish, from the Spanish flu pandemic in 1918, 1919. They had the same kind of debate then, um, on a lot of different ways. The other thing that, one of the things that was a result of the, of that pandemic was it used to be a thing. People, men especially, chewed tobacco and spit a lot. Yeah. And one of the outcomes of the pandemic then was, you know, the old Western saloons with the spittoons and you'd see, you know, ding. And one of the things that happened was every, the, all the health departments said no more public spitting, which today we're like, what? But yeah. that was a thing. And that all like dried up overnight as you got into the twenties. It wasn't just that, oh, that was a saloon thing from the wild west. It was 
that's when that ended because that was a that was a transmission-y type thing that was easily cleared up. But yeah, the whole mask wearing debate was apparently going on then for people. Yeah. There were there was a segment the same thing. Don't tell me what to do. But I just go back to well, we don't let people drive drunk. It's not just about the person yes. driving. It's the people on the street. We don't just you know no shirt, no shoes, no yeah. service. And, uh, I mean, know. and the reason why this is so important with COVID-19, Larry, is uh, folks can be they can be infected with COVID-19 and not showing symptoms and be breathing out um, all the aerosols that carry this virus. So that is why wearing a mask is so important outside. You know, Larry, there's been times where, you know, I, I so my work has been in um, in providing therapy, which is usually a distant process. Mm -hmm. But there have been times where I've done rotations and I might be working with someone who's in an ICU um, and I'm working with people mm -hmm. who I'm, I'm providing therapy to people who are um, in a very vulnerable health state or there's people around who are in a very vulnerable health state. And I am not allowed into those situations without wearing a mask and without the personal protective equipment because I might introduce something um, there that uh, people who have vulnerable immune systems could could really be hurt by. So it's always been the standard of care when you are working with someone who's highly vulnerable or if you might be infected with something. And in a global pandemic, it's one of the best things we have. You know, it's, uh, forget a global pandemic, but... Um, if you're sick, it's one of the best things you can do to keep other people safe. And folks, we're just not going to allow it, any disinformation about that. So if anyone continues to state otherwise, we might have to take actions against that because that is disinformation. It's not true. It is completely false. Um, you can look at any scientific consensus with any government in, um, disease, uh, agency wearing masks are the number one way to uh, to reduce non-government health agents. Yeah, yeah. So sorry, folks. We are just we're not going to um, allow any any discussion of that. Otherwise, that's disinformation. Um, uh, Larry. So should we? Um, what I'm trying to say a minute ago was that yeah. I'm just blur. I mean, people are going to come up with a lot of and we should maybe highlight those. When we get the hailing frequencies, but it's just like the more the series evolved. <clears throat> the more individual rule breaking for a greater I mean we say rule breaking but this 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 mindset of of that seemed to happen and a lot of it was you know personally ethically morally karmically the right thing to do but it just seemed like more and more frequently that became a a plot point that was used as drama so anyway yeah people keep people keep it uh, citing your specific examples i just am saying we could just go on all day yeah, we we could go on all day, and so it's more about should. the yeah, it's more about the uh, the why of it, not the what. Let's jump into the counselor's log here. Yeah. Um, so, Larry, there was there was a lot of different angles I was thinking about uh, where to go here with the counselor's log, um, and um, there, there's a lot of places that we could go. I talked a little bit about sacred values um, a little bit earlier here, but I think one angle I want to um, take this to is um, following the rules and when it's when it seems to be appropriate to follow the rules or not. And there, a lot of research has been done about cheating. And when do people follow the rules here about mm. um, about cheating versus <laughs> not cheating? And it, that brings up the first duty again and, and those kind of situations. So um, 
it turns out it's actually quite difficult to have people follow the rules. And there's a few things that you can make um, that makes it even more difficult. So if a situation feels like very competitive and that anything you do might give you a little bit of a competitive edge, or if there doesn't seem to be any real purpose behind the rules, if there doesn't seem to be any value behind the rules, those are two situations where cheating can really flourish. And um, if the rules are also aren't enforced evenly, um, consistently, <laughs> um, that can really enhance right. a lot of cheating. And which the reason is, I bring that up... Introduces yes. unfairness. Yes. Yes, which introduces unfairness. And the reason I bring that up is... I think one of the things we're all seeing here is enforcement um, based upon where you live and where you've been and what part of the world you're in related to all the changing rules of 2020 has been quite up in the air. Um, <clears throat> you know, there, there's been um, where I live, um, how much, how many signs you have of the different rules that we have around 2020. There's a lot of diversity there. Um, it's very hard to know how these things are being enforced. Um, we have leaders all over the United States and probably all over the world who themselves are following these rules differently. So a lot of that, uh, why, why I'm referencing um, the research around cheating, I think it, it, it has a lot to help us think through these problems. Yeah. In, in most environments, to reduce cheating, you want to make it as less competitive as possible. Um, integrity and a spirit of learning and supporting each other is needed. Those are the sacred values I was talking about before. And you need very vigilant rule enforcing. So mm. it can't feel like if I don't follow the rules, I'm at some kind of advantage. <clears throat> it needs to feel like um, the rules are there for sensible reason and they map onto some type of moral compass we already have. And then breaking of those rules needs to be vigilantly followed with equity. Everyone should be treated um, with, with equity here. That there are, um, there's, there's justice in how these rules are being enforced. I think those last pieces, uh, maybe the last two pieces are what has been missing a lot right now is rules mm -hmm. haven't been enforced with equity. Um, they haven't been enforced vigilantly and things like wearing a mask, for example, it should be tied to the moral compass of caring for yourself and your neighbor in the same way as as we had with with smoking or as worth wearing a seatbelt or following the speed limit um don't mess with texas is a saying we have in texas but also has expanded um around the country don't mess with texas came from a public um a, a, a public initiative to reduce ad littering campaign. yes yeah an yes, ad campaign yes. to reduce littering why it was so brilliant is it it was a public concern it, that uh, mapped onto the moral code exactly of Texans. Mm -hmm. That's what's been missing here, Larry, is um, the the rules of how we should care for ourselves and others haven't necessarily been mapped onto our moral code and they haven't been enforced um, with equity. And so that's why I think we're struggling so much with these different things. 
Um, that's why there's been been so much stress here and so much division and so much conflict, which we've actually experienced here today um, on Life Support Live um, in our community here. Um, so with that, I'm gonna I'm gonna just stop for a moment. So because I I think we all could use a little K three break, Larry. Um, <laughs> let's let's jump into the K three factor. Um, Larry, I'm but, dying to know what what have you got for us today? Like what? Yeah, I bet you were like puzzling. Well, I'm gonna you know again, I was a little frazzled last night, and and I was trying to think of the behind the scenes. K three for those of you who are new to Life Sport Live is a chance to for me to indulge my end of things, which is deep diving Star Trek. The way we do through all things Trekland, especially in Portal 47. And um, this time, uh, deep diving our theme back into the background of Star Trek, uh, the creatives, the behind the scenes. I went personal when we talked about breaking the rules. So let me take you back to uh, let me show. Can you put up that first one? You gotta give office. me a hint. What's the first one? Oh, oh OK. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. I want to make sure I don't do them out of order. Uh, yeah. So this is, uh, this is me. This is my second year working on the Next Generation Companion. This is actually, I'm sitting in Renee Echeverria's little office reading six season yellow scripts from the end of the year there. That's what's actually going on to get caught up so I can interview people about the last three or four episodes that hadn't aired yet when I'm there. That, that alone, that was my second research trip to L.A. The first time I went, I was on a three-month deadline to get the first, the blue, the old blue edition of the Companion out, uh, starting from scratch. And where where the topic today comes in was starting off following the rules. Again, I'm a little guy from Oklahoma who doesn't want to make somebody mad in Big Bad Paramount and Big Bad Star Trek, and all these hoops and things to jump through. And what I had to learn that I didn't know at first, but I learned were all these hoops and how they all how they intersected and how they <laughs> what the pecking order was. I'm an author. I'm an official author. I thought, well, that's a that's a big, you know, that's a carte blanche there. I'm an author official for a licensee who was going to do who I wasn't making action figures. I needed information. So technically, I should have dealt with the media people for Star Trek to do interviews Oh, and at that, time, at that time, at that time, Paramount did not have an on-lot publicist for media relations. They contracted with an agency, Bender Goldman Helper back then. So it's like technic, and then that was all for a licensee, which was Pocketbook, Simon and Schuster, who was a licensee of greater, you know, the Star Trek operation at Paramount TV. What I didn't get was. When I would write a, here's a list of who all I'm, you know, and I'm coming out on my own dime out of who knows how much this is going to be, but I need to do it. And it's exciting. I'm all excited. But as I quickly learned, the reality was, so I'm sending my question, who I want to talk to, which is like everybody, who I want to talk to in advance, not just not questions, but who I want to talk to, just the list of names. I'm sending that to Simon and Schuster, my editor, who then sends it to licensing who then sends it over to media relations who then has to deal with people actually in production so that was like four hoops and i'm thinking well this is the official book of course people are going to open the gates and roll out the red carpet for the first official author to you know with this hot show five years in we're talking like like end of the mm -hmm. 50s and i got crickets 
So I have mm-hmm. my, you know, I set my, I can afford it. I'm working a day job. I have mm-hmm. a week set up. I've never, go, I've been to LA once, maybe twice, where I've driven. Uh, but I can't afford to drive and take two, three days. So I'm flying, renting a hotel room, you know. I have five or six business days. Okay. So there are people who have retired. Bob Justman, bless his heart. I went over to his house. No big deal. Spent four or five hours with him. Had this huge interview with him from that time period. A couple of other people. But I had been talking, writing back and forth with Mike Akuda, with Rick Sternbach, with Eric Stilwell. People that I, you know, that were on the production who were, who were low key people who were great sources when, and they got it. They also knew they were fans. They knew fandom. But when I was going through the official channels, frustration, frustration, frustration. So of my five, six days I had there, there's a, there's a, there's a building p- picture I gave you. I, I, you know, at first you sent me this and I thought this was some type of, uh, life support Mistake? live retreat joke. No, I thought it was, I thought, did Jared send me this? Is this a life support live retreat? But here you go. Uh, here you go. So the first time I came to LA to work on Star Trek professionally, I stayed a week at the Best Western Golden Key in Glendale, which is no longer there. It's now, if you know LA and you know Glendale, it's, uh, it's, this is the cor- one of the corners of where the Americana shopping complex is now. But anyway, it was there for a long time because back in the days I had points with Best West. Anyway, but I sat there for a day and I was waiting to hear back, waiting to hear back. Uh, two days went, Monday went by. Tuesday went by. Wednesday went by. I've got five days. I've got three months to write this book that I knew fandom was going to judge me on. If I, if I did it halfway right, it would sit on people's shelves for 40 or 50 years, which is done. I didn't know then that it would all be, you know, cannibalized and thrown into memory alpha. <laughs> if I'm lucky, if they're even you know, doing that, but, or citing it. I just remember like three days went by and they'd gotten me they got me Bob Justman's number, and I went over and did that. Fine. Yay, that was great. But I needed to talk to Rick Berman and Jerry Taylor and Mike Piller and, you know, writers, much less all the creative heads for this book that I was doing, that all I had done so far was pull things out of other interviews the last five years. But I couldn't write a book, you know, citing everybody else. I had to do my own original stuff. I was totally capable of doing that. I was just frustrated with the system. And I'll never forget, on Wednesday, I'm sitting in that hotel room, motel room, with the person, my my contact from not licensing in New York, not my editor, but there in L.A., the person who wasn't even a Paramount employee at the time, they were an off, they were a contracted vendor, you know, an agency. I, I can't think of her name, but it was the person from, I, I've got the memo somewhere with her names on it, but I we were on the phone, and I called, and I said, look, I'm... You know, I'm feeling vulnerable. It's like if I make a stink here, they, I'm little Larry Nimichuk from Oklahoma. They can cut me off and I'm mm. out of here. So if I make a stink too much, if I make a fuss. So I'm calling and going, look, I've got five days and I've spent three of them to interview people for a book I've got to do in two months that the whole world is going to judge me whether I'm a flake yeah. you know, yeah. or a flack yeah. or whatever. I've got to do Your career sort of writing on it. Yeah. Yes. And I said, look, I know several people on the lot and this person who is dealing with instead of like focusing on me. And you know what? There are there are better people in all positions. Sometimes our interactions in life and our inter- interactions with institutions 
like Picard walking in with the little schmuck at the front desk of Starfleet Academy <laughs> and Picard. Sometimes our interactions with a whole institution are all about like our interaction with one person and it colors us. But I'm on the phone with this person and she said, I said some bad, look, I know people already. All I need is a pass to go on the lot and talk to people that I know already who trust me, much less other people who ought to go. You've picked him to be your official author. You ought to be like, what's the big deal? Did you, was there a flaw? Do you regret who you got doing the project? What's the big deal with hesitancy here? Well, part of it was they were in the – I didn't know this for timing. I learned quickly, never did it again, but they were in the big – production was in the big buildup to get out. They were in their senioritis run to get to the end of the year. They were like in the last month of shooting. All anybody cared about was getting out the door, getting into the break, right? They'd been there for eight or nine long months. Plus, production – didn't have to answer to media relations, who didn't have to answer to licensing, who didn't have to answer to yeah, – I mean they yeah. kind of did. You know what I'm saying? I had all those things, but it's it's my thing here. And I will never forget how I said, look, I know people on the lot. Just get, just do me a pass and I will go – You know. and she was like, do not do that. This is on the phone, but I could see her. She's like, do not do that. I go, what do you mean do not do that? She goes, do not, under any circumstances, go on the lot on your own accord. Do not get on the lot on your own accord. And I'm like, what? I'm what I just have been saying. I'm this, 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 and this. And she's like, if you go on the lot, will you be responsible for your actions? Will you be responsible for your actions? I'm, I'm, I'm doing this. With the, <laughs> I'm imagining that's what she was doing. And I'm like, of course I'll be responsible. No, I'm like an out-of-control maniac. It's like, of course I'm going to be responsible for it. It's like, what? And she's like, I will not be responsible for what happens if you go on the lot without our authorization. And I'm like, what are you talking about? The whole thing, bottom line was I did. And by the end of the week, I, you know, I met and I had, I had even been on the lot as a visitor who went over to see Mike and Rick in the art department like two years before. That was what was insane. You think. By being official, you're going to – it makes whatever you cobble together as a, just a tourist fan, it's going to be that time times a thousand. It's like, no. But what I realized was it's more about the channels. But the end result was I learned all my lessons from this. I also learned that in the end run, it was much better for me to go meet people one by one than to have been escorted around like a visiting VIP or something. And, and, you know, I had to make my own way and meet my own people and earn a lot of my own trust. And I had help eventually. That year mm -hmm. that you see me in Renee's office, Lolita Fajo had met me by then. She goes, Oh, we need to get Larry a thing. And she was calling all the writers. Hey, you guys need to talk to Larry. He's doing the second edition of the book. You know, it was like, you know, it was thank you. This is what I thought. But the first year, the first year before the first edition came out, I basically had to, if not break a rule, I had to bend it, and I had to learn when to get assertive because the rules was, here is the procedure. Part of this could have been when to follow procedure and protocol the way Captain Freeman says right. and when not to. And that's why I love that ending scene where she says they're going to play good cop, bad cop, basically, which is a whole right. factor there. She's going to play good cop. She's going to play good Starfleet and let Mariner play bad Starfleet because sometimes you need the – Sometimes you need your negative side, evil Kirk, with the scratches on the alternating, changing sides of your face. Sometimes you need that to get yourself through. So, yes, 
I had this insane phone call with that woman, young woman, in her, and she's probably scared that some maniac moron hick from Oklahoma is going to come in, and her name is the one on the letter, and if I do something wrong, then she's paranoid about, you know, it's the, it's the government or the Hollywood, you know, paranoia of cover your ass and don't get yelled at by your next superior. All I'm trying to do is get my thing done. But it was, a, you know, and that's a good lesson in if you can find find the common ground if you've got a roadblock and try to figure out what's the common good and, you know, reassure. Anyway, I'll just never forget that. So I didn't break a rule, although I'm sure I did many times because I don't have a picture of me meeting Gene Roddenberry because I followed a rule and I didn't know how you bend the rule, how everybody does it. You know, you do not have a camera on the in the in the pre cell phone camera days. You don't have a camera on the lot means you don't walk around with it hanging off your neck like a stupid yeah, tourist. Yeah, yeah. You put your camera in your bag. When you get in the room you're going to, then you take your camera out. Yeah, so that's yeah. why I don't have a picture of me meeting Gene Roddenberry even in the pre-camera days. But this yeah. year was a time when it all – I was so desperate to do the right thing for the greater good, which was my book and fandom and, yes, my reputation, but also what I could do for fandom – and I'd been given the responsibility versus some immovable objects in my temporary way and how to navigate that and go on. Anyway, that's Larry, what that came up to my mind when we came up with this topic. So there's your yeah, – oh, let me check. There, Can you put up the map? Can you put up the yes, map? Yes, I was going to ask you about the map. Uh, so the map is – Boom. So here here's Hollywood. So here's Paramount down here in the lower left, 55-55 Melrose. I'm up here in Glendale at the at the Golden Key – over at the very top. So look at that. It's all of six, uh, six, uh, 6.7 miles. This was 15 minutes, you know, overnight. So it would have been 20 minutes, whatever. I was seven miles away from Paramount sitting there festering in my motel room. I might as well have been at the South Pole for all the good it was, right? That was, that's the, but that's how close and yet how far away. And sometimes, yeah. you know, when you're looking at the big picture of things about whether to break or even bend, to rule the rules or the procedure um those are the kinds of things that were weighing on me so there you go that was um uh there's so does um, that fit does that fit our discussion <laughs> i think so i think it does fit our discussion um i want to jump into the away mission here um i'm gonna pivot a little bit um so um libby i'm gonna talk to you just for a moment and um we're gonna do a little real-time uh away <laughs> mission here um, I think Libby is having uh, a hard time today, and um, I, I just want to say, uh, Libby, we we uh, we're we're trying to figure this out as we go. Um, and speaking of rules, when to follow and when to break, we want this to be um, a safe place for everyone. Um, and Life Support Live has always been. Um, the idea of this has been for us to come together and to celebrate um, Star Trek together and to use it to learn how to figure out um, how to move forward. And uh, it means a lot to us that when you say that this has been one of the highlights of your week and one of the times of the week that you look forward to. And um, it makes me um, it makes me quite um, sad to hear that um, you don't feel that way uh, today. Um, so what. Um, what I just want to share is 
We're figuring out the rules as we go along of how best to make this a a supportive place for everyone. And um, today that might not, it might not have felt that way. And we're, Larry and I are going to figure out um, with, with your input, we're always happy to take um, everyone's advice about how to, how to make it more safe and how to make it feel supportive so that uh, we all can benefit from this. So um, I just want to share that uh, before we talk about anything else that um, we we're going to figure out um, how to how to learn from the experience and the difficult chat that it seems like a lot of you had today. And um, uh, we're going to figure out how to best make this uh, a more supportive place. Larry, I don't know if there's um, anything you want to add to that, but um, we're, I don't we're trying to do our best. I'm massively behind on the chat and I've been I've been. And trying to catch up, and then we went to K3, and I had stopped to talk about that and try to remember why that was relevant um, <laughs> and make it relevant. Because I, I, if I wasn't breaking rules, it was it was almost a case where other people maybe thought I was breaking rules when I wasn't, or break yeah. or fo- following protocol kind of fit, you know, established protocol. Maybe that would have been a even a more broader term to use. But I just remembered feeling that I was in a friction point. Because some, I was doing something totally normal and something that was necessary and required. I even had a financial contract to do. And I had people perceiving me as being, you know, out of control or, or breaking rules or trying to cut corners and find shortcuts. And sometimes, I guess my point there was sometimes we might break rules or we might find shortcuts around things and somebody, a by the booker, might say, you know, you're messing up, but for the bigger picture on things, we're doing exactly what we need to do. As long as we're pretty grounded in, please find me all the right psych, bo- psych babble words to say this, but if we're grounded in what we think we're doing and we're getting feedback from others at the same time, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the one bureaucrat or the few. I don't know. Yeah. Um, anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to try to catch up with. Yeah, so what I was going to say for the away mission here um, is I was going to actually talk about how to talk uh, to other folks when it seems like we might be following different rules here. (laughs) So maybe that is uh, very appropriate for today's conversation. Um, Larry, it's, it's quite difficult to have conversations with folks who might be following a very different um, rule set um, and um, a very different framework. Um, mm. You know, most people really do care about safety and health and education and opportunity and uh, making sure that everyone um, has access to those things. However, how we think we can best do that there is there is diversity there on what we think is the best way to promote health and to promote um, the economy and to promote safety and to promote education. Um, there's a lot of diversity there. So the away mission I was actually going to recommend, if people are in a position to want to have these discussions of how people are approaching rules differently... Um, to start those discussions with, why do you think this is so important to me? Why do you think that um, the, the thing I'm doing is so important step to me? Back. Yeah, step back, because it, 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 um, it flips a perspective a bit, because it, it forces you to think about things from the other person's perspective. 
And I, a lot of times, yeah, go ahead, Larry. No, I was going to say, the, the, I have an MA in theater is my graduate degree. But the thing I, the biggest mind paradigm shift in my own mind from grad school was like always reexamining your assumptions, your assumptions, your assumptions, your assumptions. Yes. Because yes. The, 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 whether it's whether it's creative, artistic, or whether it's interpersonal and diplomatic, you can you know it's like what you're exactly what you're saying. You're just assume you're just going. Well, here's your pre here's your base of understanding, and you're going forward. If you're really in conflict with somebody, if you're trying to figure out a way to proceed with somebody creatively or diplomatically, you know whatever whatever the situation is. Yeah. However, the interaction step back and maybe examine them and your own. Like, yeah. think about why you're doing what. What are you basing all this on that's been so un- unexamined that you've totally – and when you step – oh, I'm actually thinking this because this – this is, it could be the way your family always did it or the way you were raised or the time period you were raised in or something happened to you that when you were four that you, or eight and not a trauma, but something happened and you've always reacted otherwise to it. And maybe that's what you're doing. But anyway, it's like take the blinders off. Don't be the deer in the headlights. And if you can, like, if you get to an impasse, back up and, you know, re-examine what all is in your toolbox and what's in your rearview mirror and your assumptions, your and, assumptions. And, about. and that is very hard to do. It is very hard to do. And sometimes it's painful to do that. And sometimes you become aware of things that are um, well, quite difficult right. to tackle. And so that's, that's one piece of advice I want to give people is, um, is to that it's it's okay to not have these conversations with a wide variety of people in your life. They're hard conversations to have, and they're important. They are also difficult. So if you are going to have a conversation with someone whose whose rules and the way they're approaching things are, is vastly different than you, there has to be clear motivation behind it. And if there is, if it's someone you work with. If it's someone you have to encounter on a regular basis, if it's someone who you think you can really learn from, or if it's uh, someone you love, a family member, um, anything like that, um, uh, your your child's teacher, you know, wh- whoever it might be, um, starting that conversation with why do you think this rule, why do you think this thing is so important to me? Because um, it allows you to do a lot of what Larry was talking about of um of exploring those uh motivations that you might not be aware that uh, that are And you there. know what I was, I wasn't even talking I I could tell you immediately took that to a like a a deep counseling therapy kind of level That's <laughs> what I do. I was just I was just talking about surface things that we can even like if we just took a moment to stop and breathe and re you know, like when you lose something and you retrace your steps to see where you you know where it might be. I was just thinking like okay a, a basic retrace your step, whether it's like over the last month or the you know the last five years or the, or since you were ten or something. But I I didn't mean like something that was going to require. Although sometimes having a third person, second person, third person point of view or memory, you know, is helpful to get there faster. But yes, obviously, you know, a therapist, a counselor to to dig out the deep, deep, deep stuff and make a huge change. But I was. I was talking about just like in a point one to one point with somebody on a particular issue, and maybe you can if it's a if it's a pattern of behavior. Yes, obviously yeah. that that's probably something else too. Yeah, uh, I agree. And uh, with that, let's uh, let's open up those hailing frequencies, um, Larry. There's been a very recent discussion about um, theater majors. 
Uh, and that, uh, I like how Scott You guys are also it. ahead of me. I'm, I'm like, I'll just, I'll Scott, come back in 10 minutes, okay? I'm gonna Scott said, it. um, I was a theater major and a psychology minor in college. The show's like watching two halves of my brain. Um, so Larry, you definitely have a theater background. And I took one theater class in college. My last, uh, I went to a quarter school. And so my last quarter of college was a theater class and I was actually in um in a play. Um I was in one play and the way you said uh, that. I was actually in a play. Okay. <laughs> I'm and just and gave me the keys and I <laughs> that's my way of saying I, I don't have theater cred, although I love Broadway, as is obvious from my horrible singing. Um, I don't have a lot of theater cred, but I have a tiny, tiny little morsel of it. Uh, that's just what I wanted to share with Scott. I've got, I, I got a little, little bit. Okay. <laughs> well, you do well on camera, so there's some kind of a connection. Well, the, well yeah, what... it's, it's teaching. Teaching is theater. <laughs> And mm-hmm. I have a lot of experience with teaching. I did speech and debate, too. And so theatrics and communicating emotion and capturing attention and... Right. Um, compressing, and, compressing thoughts and, and emotions and expression and compressing that and then focusing it is... Yes. That, yeah. that is uh, great teaching, great uh, pedagogical, uh, a great pedagogical approach is to harness a lot. (laughs) It's one of my favorite words. It just kind of means like teaching methods, pedagogy. Um, but it's a a lot of good, good teaching is good theater. Unfortunately, a lot of bad politics is theater as well. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Oh my God. Jackson, Huey Long. Yeah. Um, and, and modern cases. The advent of TV just made it all worse. Uh, but it was uh, Mark, bad enough when it was live. Mark says voice acting and RPG playing helped me to overcome it. So, so shy actors isn't that uncommon. So, uh, that's, that's a really great point. I think Larry, for a lot of people, theater and, um, and also RPG, whether it is Star Trek Adventures or something like Dungeons and Dragons, um, for a lot of people, that structure helps them to overcome anxiety they might have about performing. And um, I completely agree with that, Mark. It was a public speaking class that helped me overcome a lifetime of social anxiety that I had. So um, I'm right there with you, Mark. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm, oh, now I'm getting into the chat. Okay, now I'm catching up. Uh, <laughs> oh, oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Um Uh, let's see. Um, we're, we're gobsmacked. Oh, 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 while we're here, while we're here in the chat, folks, let us know, um, what, uh, we're thinking of doing an evening watch of Star Trek First Contact. I, I know that might not be the best for folks who are on the European side, because that might end up being an early morning watch of Star Trek First Contact. However, our, our current plans are next Saturday, we're gonna we're gonna continue the same approach, which is we're gonna take that week's new episode of Star Trek, which will now be Star Trek Discovery, in a non-spoiler way, use that to inspire that week's theme, which will also have to be something that helps us to boldly go in our own lives. So um, it's always a tall order 
We'll, we want to take your feedback um, for ideas for that theme. Um, but we also want to do this watch party, as, as many of you have requested having these watch alongs, where we're just all watching start, uh, a, a piece of Star Trek together. We did that with Insurrection. We did that with, uh, what was the Deep Space Nine episode? Um, it's only a paper moon. Larry mm-hmm. uh, was the episode we did. Right. Now, based on your vote, we're going to do first contact. So if you could let us know if there's a day of the week that your preference is, um, Larry and I will see what we can do. That being said, Larry, you are very busy this week. Um, can you share with us some of the some of the things you've got going on this week? I will, but I just wanted to add on to what you said, yeah. guys. What we were looking at in the big picture was right now we have uh, knowing that not not everybody is subscribing and watching, but also knowing that we were really limited on Lower Decks because we know everybody across the pond yeah. wasn't able to see it at all. It wasn't You didn't even have the choice unless, of course, you bent the rules and went to the greater good of keeping up with your Star Trek somehow. <clears throat> uh, wait a second. I, I, there's a method down here right underneath this table. Um, so Discovery is back to being on most global cha- – you know, back on its global feed – so on one hand, we're a little bit relieved there, but the big picture here was we thought while there's new Trek coming out, that in the big picture is we've had 10 weeks and 13 weeks, and then who knows how long it will be until we have that resource, that tool, and we can go back, we can return to our original format totally, we can come up with other things, we can do more watch-alongs, but rather than put all of that off for 13 weeks, A, we decided to do a watch-along sooner than then and out of our normal time slot. And B, go ahead, and while we have the luxury of some new Trek, which is not open to everybody, but at least it's open to way more people than we yeah. have been, to go ahead and use that while we have it. Yes. But we're also, but Ali and I keep talking about, we have, we have some other formats in mind. That, yeah, we've got a lot of ideas. <laughs> we have some um, other things, too, that are, like, not even a bloody A, B, C, or D here on the multiple choice so far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, one, one thing I want to um, share with that, folks, um, we don't I, don't, I don't think we talk about this enough, Larry, but you and I really enjoy Life Support Live for a lot of, uh, I think, different reasons, and I'll let you speak to your own, but for me... Um, I don't have a ton of time in my week where I get to really celebrate mm-hmm. Star Trek and talk about these big ideas. Um, so for <laughs> me, the connection with this community here is, is, um, just a ton of fun. And honestly, folks, we need as much fun and joy and community as we can get. So for me, um, this is, um, this has been a wonderful way for me to stay connected with something that I love so much and gives my, and has given my life so much meaning. And Larry, you shared with me one, some, some of the things that you really like about Life Support Live and how, how different it is from the different conversations you have usually about Star Trek. Right. Well, no, I, yes. Um, this is an aspect of Star Trek that I, I said in the beginning. I always took for granted. Well, of course, it's about a positive future and aspirational. That's what Star Trek is. Gene said, if we didn't change our ways and become, you know, uh, more more respectful, more diverse, more, you know, less narrow-minded, all these things, of course we would blow ourselves up. Of course we'd poison the planet. Of course we couldn't have cool future space gadget techno because we would have killed ourselves off. By then, so if we're going to have a future set 300 years in the future, of course we're going to do this. And you know, all the extensions of if others are doing the same thing, they probably didn't do the same things to their own cultures. If they're spacefaring and the whole aliens show up to eat us and conquer us thing, <laughs> you, you know, whatever, maybe. But 
basically so much of what I what I just bypassed to get to the cool parts of Star Trek I liked, which was the world building and the backgrounding mm-hmm. and the making of. But it's the thing that set most of fandom up, you know, the women and mostly women who were fan fiction writing off the relationships and now shipping, we'd say. But all that end of it, I was like, well, yeah, 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 of course. Now, over here. (laughs) (laughs) So life support has got me back in touch with a lot of the core of that at the same time, hopefully, hopefully. um, I don't know. It's like it's it makes me feel like I'm using all of my Star Trek muscles and not just, you know, how how. How far yes. up the sleeve is the cuff braid on a 2283 yes. uniform for left-handed Tellarites who, you know, don't speak uh, Orion? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think that's when... That's um, why I love Yeah. I think Life Support Live works And the best. collaboration. I just enjoyed the collaboration opposed yeah. to, you know, yeah. Oh, I, I agree. I think, Larry, Life Support Live works best when you and I and our community are all getting a new perspective on something at the same time. And when I might say something that gives you a different perspective, and then you come back with a very different perspective, and our community brings up examples that we haven't thought of, that's when I think we're all really connecting and learning and growing and having so much fun in the process. So this is my very long way of saying, folks, we're not we're not going anywhere. We've got plans to see out the, the season of Star Trek Discovery, and then we have other ideas of things that we want to do with Life Support Live. And... Um, um, we've had, we're hopefully we'll have more to say about this in, in the near future, but a member of the Life Support Live community has been helping us to get the podcast up. We will, we want to talk a lot more about that once we get that up. Um, it's been slowed down largely because of me and I've been slower to move forward on, on those kind of things. But folks, we've got, we're not going anywhere. We want to celebrate. I know uh, we want to celebrate. Uh, you're wearing command red today and I'm, I'm still in, in science blue. Um, this is crimson and cream. I'll have, you know, come on. It looks a lot like the maroon, um, motion picture era. Uh, I am not a monster. <laughs> <laughs> So we've got we've got um, stuff cooking, folks. So we're not going anywhere. Um, we will. We're going to see out Star Trek Discovery and have that inspire our themes. Um, I'm a little nervous about how we're going to get individual themes from more of a uh, serialized storytelling. L- Lower Decks has been much more ser- um, serialized or uh, more episodic, and now we're going serialized with Disco. So we'll see what happens. But, but it's uh, going to be a much different mood and tone. I'm I'm actually ex- I may be the most excited for Discovery than I've ever been so far, just because I yes, think they may finally they may finally find their niche. <laughs> we'll I, see. We'll see. I agree, and I hope so. Um, you know, Jared keeps saying Patreon. Um, Jared really wants us to start a Patreon. Um, and folks, if you would like to support us in that way, let us know if, if you'd like a Patreon. Um, the other thing that Jared mentioned as well is um, Slumber Party with Ali and Larry. And that that might be the right way to think about watching At the Goat Key in Glendale. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Life Support Live podcast. We'd love to get your feedback on this episode. I'm at Ali Matu on social media. And I'm at Larry Nemechek. Hey, if you like this show, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review. It'll help more people to discover life support. And you can join the community at our Life Support Live Facebook group. 
If you'd like to learn more about psychology and mental health, check out my YouTube channel at youtube.com slash thepsychshow. And for a deeper dive into all things Trekland, like Portal 47, check out Larry Nimichek's Trekland on Facebook and YouTube. Until next time, live long and prosper. Trek well, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>